Here in Judges chapter 4, we are going to meet our fourth judge and the sin cycle of number four. Uh, the people belonging to God, they have everything they need to be blessed. They're in the promised land. They have God's presence. They have God's promises. They've divided up the inheritance. They've conquered the Canaanites. There are still pockets of resistance there. But by and large, they have everything they need, except one thing, the resolve to obey God fully. And that one caveat, that one exception, is going to make them or break them. And in this case, it's breaking them. So here we go again, sin cycle number four, <laughs> verse one. After Ehud, their last judge, that we studied last week, after he died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them, that word means to give them over, into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim. That's really a difficult place to live. Can you imagine writing that out every day? Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. So in these four verses, here we go again. What I have called crisis Christianity uh, revealed in embryo form here. Um, I've come up with five Ds to help you keep track of the sin cycle, really, because it happens even today in immature Christians. Disobedience, discipline, distress, devotion, and deliverance. In other words, they disobey. God brings discipline. It brings a distress that calls them to devotion to God, and then God brings deliverance, the five Ds. Unfortunately, here we see, once again, they cry out to God, but not for forgiveness, but for relief of their suffering. And that's too bad, because that's the difference between uh, religious reformation and spiritual transformation and revival. Reformation really temporarily changes our outward conduct while revival and spiritual renewal permanently alters inward character. It reminds me, Israel does here, of Matthew 12 that Jesus was talking about the man who is exercised of one demon. He reforms himself, but his heart is empty, and seven more wicked spirits come to dwell there, and the end result was worse than the beginning. As Warren Wiersbe has said, an empty heart is prey to every form of evil. And their hearts really basically were empty. I mean, they'd follow the judge, the Shaphat in, in Hebrew. They follow him until he died. And once he died, their superficial allegiance to God was all wrapped up in, in, the, in the personality of the Shaphat, the judge, the savior of that time. And boom, everything just dissipated. Uh, they went back to marrying marrying pagans and worshiping the gods of sex and money and letting the world pollute them once again. It's a sad observation there that as soon as Ehud dies, uh, there goes their devotion out the window, and it will be like that all through Judges. It is my prayer that should I ever disappear from the scene before we all thought it was time for me to go, that people's faith and people's allegiance to God would be unchanged. In fact, maybe even more strengthened. Um, so we, we got to see that here. Uh, the new paddling device in the hand of the loving father to discipline his erring children is King Jabin, the Canaanite, and, and his general Sisera, 
Uh, and God has a variety. Every sin cycle, there's a, a different kind of paddling that he brings along. But, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6 that the Lord disciplines those he loves and every child he chastises in faithfulness uh, because he cares about us because we need it. And sometimes, you know, just when sweet blessings come our way, it's not enough to deter us from doing the wrong thing. And we do the wrong thing, and he has to bring uh, discipline. And he does that in so many variety of ways, whether he dries up your resources or a relationship goes sour or your body gets sick. And, and it's not necessarily that he's disciplining you when we're going through hard times, but you know the Holy Spirit will make known to your heart that this is directly related to something that you're not getting at the time. And so he brings the paddle in love. You know, it's too bad. It's self-inflicted 20 years of suffering uh, under this guy with 900 iron chariots. They don't even have one there. But in Joshua 17, the Lord spoke through Joshua and said, drive them out. Drive the chariots, destroy the chariots. And it says in Joshua 17, you can do this. And it's a command. And unfortunately, they don't understand that where God commands, he enables. He doesn't tell you to do something and then uh, not enable you to do that. So if he says you can overcome this sin problem, you can change this habit, you can destroy this uh, besetting sin or whatever it is, if he says be holy, for I am holy, he fully knows and will enable you to be what he's called you to be. And unfortunately, not everybody takes them up on that. And so they're suffering again. Recently kind of landed on Animal Planet. Just for a few seconds, and this is what I see. A woman, it's called Fatal Attractions. A woman with a gleam in her eye. Just as I land on it, gleaming in the eye, she says, I've always had a thing for crocodiles. Wow. And I'm just waiting for the camera to pan back a little bit and show us her missing limb. And sure enough, she only has one arm because she has a thing for crocodiles. Israel has a thing for the pagan gods and goddesses of Canaan. And just let me say this. Always know that the thing you got a thing for has a thing for you. <laughs> Let me repeat that in slow motion. The thing that you have a thing for, I've always had a thing for the ladies. I've always had a thing for money. I've always had a thing for taking something that doesn't belong to me. I've always had a thing for exaggerating the truth. I've always had this thing about talking too much. Not from the pulpit, but privately. <laughs> I've always had this thing. Well, just know this, that that thing will be your demise. It will be your demise. What did he say? He said, they will be thorns in your eyes and whips on your back and a snare on your foot. It's just going to cause you a lot of pain. So you should try to get out of it. Why did they go 7,304 days? <laughs> because the sinful heart always hopes and prays that it will find the day where it can have its cake and eat it too. It just is hoping maybe tomorrow I'll wake up and I'll still be able to have the goddess of sex or the goddess of money and Yahweh. And they suffer 7,300. And on the fifth day, they say, OK, <laughs> maybe we'll just serve Yahweh. And God says, nice to hear from you. I'll come through for you now. Moving on, verse 4. Deborah is going to be the Shaphat. All right? It doesn't sound very nice in, to our English ears, but it is Savior, Rescuer. A prophetess as well. Verse 4, the wife of Lapidoth, and that's all we know about him, is, is that he's the husband of famous Deborah, <laughs> was leading Israel at the time. So Deborah's leading. She held court under the palm of Deborah 
between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, so she's got a word for the Lord, from the Lord. The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. Now the Lord is speaking through her. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his 900 tanks and his troops, uh, there might as well be the chariots, and his troops from the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't, I'm not going. Very well, Deborah said. I will go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. And by the way, it isn't going to be Deborah. We're going to find out who it is. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 guys follow him, and Deborah also goes with him. So if you're taking notes, number two, number one was uh, crisis Christianity. Number two would be two are better than one, and three are better still. God is going to raise up a team of three to deal with this evil Sisera and his 900 tanks that are oppressing God's people. Um, three people, we meet number one and two here. Number one, a weak-willed general named Barak. His name means lightning. We also meet spiritually discerning woman Deborah, whose name means bee, B-E-E, meaning she's very industrious and sharp and gets the job done, and she will, believe me. And later we will be meeting an unlikely assassin for the Lord, a woman named Jael. All right, so let's talk about Deborah, the prophetess. Uh, a prophet, and, and the word for prophetess is just a female prophet. It's the same word uh, in the Hebrew. Somebody who hears from God and speaks for him, speaks his word. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see that women prophesy in the church. And prophesying, they're just speaking. The Holy Spirit would give them something to share at a church a gathering, and they would speak. Uh, they would also exercise that gift under uh, male uh, leadership of the day. And so there would be a pastor there, but the women would be able to speak and to prophesy. Uh, so a woman wants to exercise her gift in the context of or the order established by the leaders of the church, just like anybody else, and using their gifts. Um, examples of prophetesses. Miriam in Exodus 15, Huldah, 2 Kings 22, and Philip's four daughters in Acts 21, and also Anna in the temple with uh, baby Jesus. So there in verse 5, there was a place called the Palm of Deborah where people who needed wisdom and guidance, uh, a judge of sorts, would come and hear the word of the Lord through this woman. And it was really a humiliating time for Israel because this isn't the way that God usually worked. It's not the way their patriarchal society ran. But the Lord decided that the best man for that job was not a man, but a woman. And it really speaks to the condition of the men of that period. God says, look, you guys are going to slack off. You're not going to rise to the occasion. I've got a woman here who will do the job and do it very well. I guess the men were on spiritual hiatus at the time. And so Deborah gets a word. It's very easy here for General Barak. She says, God is commanding you, rally 10,000 men. Here are the two tribes to lead the way. Go to Mount Tabor. Lure this wicked general Sisera to engage you, he will come out with his 900 chariots, and the Lord will wipe him out. You will prevail. And so, you know what I see here in 6 and 7? I just see when we're in a jam, God's got a plan. I mean, look at this. He's got the leader. He's got the army. He's got the 
uh, soldiers, which soldiers to use. He names the place. He names the strategy. When you're in a jam, God has a specific plan, and he will tell you that plan if you ask, seek, and knock. What will happen if you ask, seek, and knock? You will get the answer. But God would like you to ask, seek, and knock. He says, please, that's kind of your part. Ask, seek, and knock. Listen, discern, look to me, not to Oprah, not to Dr. Phil, necessarily not to anybody else. Why don't you just spend a little time with the God who created you, the God who has all power in heaven and earth, and why don't you just open the book, sit down, pour your heart out before him, and see what he has to say. So Barak is hesitant, like several others, when they hear the call, Moses, so, you know, I'm not very good with speaking, and Gideon, we're going to meet his, him and his weaknesses. Jeremiah said, I'm too young, I'm just a kid. But uh, as I said earlier, God's commands to us are God's enablements. Now, uh, he may have the strength to strike like lightning, like his name, but he lacks the thunder and uh, really, you need both. And the thunder is the voice of the Lord. If you don't have a personal connection with air traffic control, you don't know how you're flying. You don't feel confident. And so he says, you know what? I know you here, him. I myself, I have a little trouble here. But I, I'll go. I can strike like lightning, and I'll do the work. But, but who wants to go into battle? If you feel disconnected, like you don't know that you can even discern the voice of the Lord. But I know you can. So yes, I will go if you will come with me and be the voice in my ear because I am a little spiritually tone deaf. And whose problem might that be, do you think? Do you think God made him spiritually tone deaf? I don't think so. I don't think so. Whenever there's a problem with the equipment, it's really a user error, really. So, you know, he's that way because he's a weak sauce kind of guy. You know, he's going to let uh, you listen. You seek the Lord. You tell me what he's saying and I'll do the work. You know how much we forfeit when we let somebody else. Oh, can you just find out for me and tell me? Sometimes I kind of feel like that's. Part of my job, I want to tell people, and I do, when they come to me, you know, tell me what to do here. I, I want to tell you, but a lot of times I'll say, well, what does the Bible say about that? I, I need you to do a little work here. What are you sensing? How much time have you prayed about it? What do you, where is the Holy Spirit leading you? I don't, I'm not going to tell you the answer unless it's like a black and white thing and you really need to know. I'm going to tell you that, but uh, that's something that he's lacking here. And so she says, yeah, um, I'll go with you. This is a bad move on your part, um, Barack, because you're going to lose the honor because you're not manning up or womaning up as the case may be, but because you're going about this in a weak sauce kind of way, um, you're, the trophy's going to a girl. Are you fine with that? He goes, I don't care who gets the glory. Just, just come with me. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't that bad, but you know, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, and Deborah has heard that voice, and he knows that, and he wants the power to come along, verse 11. So they go hand in hand. You know, the 10,000 soldiers are rallied, and Deborah the thunder, and Barak the lightning. <laughs> there they go, verse 11. Now Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent in the, by the great tree in Za'ananim, near Kadesh, when they told Sisera, that Barak had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron tanks and all the men with him, I don't just call chariots tanks, with him from a faraway place to the Kishon River. 
Then Deborah said to Barak, go, man, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Now, commentators say on the horizon are the storm clouds coming. The chariots are not going to do well in the mud. They don't normally have rain that time of year. The Kishon uh, is dried up, and now there's going to be a flash flood. So she sees, wow, look, hasn't the Lord gone before you? Go strike. Now's the time to lure him in. So Barak goes down to Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed, that word means to panic or to cause confusion, to Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot, but Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harosheth Hagoyim. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Now, these are really wicked bad guys, so don't go feeling bad for them. All right, so Roman numeral number three, the battle is waged. And surprise, it goes exactly like God said it would go because everything God says is fulfilled. That's just the way it is. And so verse 11, we meet Heber because his wife is going to save the day. So we need to know about their family. So Heber is introduced here. Uh, Heber is kind of the head of the tribes called the Kenites here in verse 11. Uh, they are distant relatives to back to Moses. All right. And so what the Hebers are doing out in the barren wilderness is they are friends on friendly terms with the Canaanites. And so what's going to happen here is the, Ken the Kenite family, the Hebers, are going to go to the bad boy general and say, hey, the Jews are coming. Come on, advance. Bring your 900 chariots. They are the, the bait because they happen to be kind of on friendly terms, and so they don't suspect that they are actually Jews. Uh, and so they're the perfect uh, hook. And so uh, here come the 900 uh, chariots. Uh, Deborah says, now's the time to strike. It's a done deal. Um, and the trap works, and the enemy was wiped out. I'd like to say that God's got resources available for your victory, even when you cannot see them ahead of time. And so God put his people in a position where they'd have to trust him. He calls them out to plains. They're flat, flat land. They don't have any weapons, really, to speak of. They probably have a few tools, maybe a couple swords. But they have 900 chariots coming on flat ground, and God wants them right there. They have to have faith. They have to trust God. So do not always whine about where God puts you, where you really have to feel your disadvantage and your desperate need for God and faith. That's not always a bad place. In fact, it's usually a good place because it causes you to finally get down on your face before the Lord and say, God, there is nothing I can do here. It all has to be you. And he goes, finally, <laughs> thank you. Now I can work. And so don't despise when he backs you up against the wall. That's what he did with the Red Sea. They had no place to go. They, they hear the thunder of the hooves of uh, Pharaoh's armies. And God says, watch this. But it says there in Exodus 14, he led them to that cul-de-sac. God led them to the dead end. And then stirred up Pharaoh's horses. Because he said, watch what I can do now. So maybe some of you are in that cul-de-sac tonight. And you hear the hooves. You know, freak out and panic like God is kind of like in China somewhere, not listening to you. Because <laughs> he is in China, but he is happening to listen to you as well. Verse 17. Sisera, however, gets away. He's running. He's on foot to the tent of jail. The wife of Heber, the Kenite because there were, they were on friendly relations with Jabin, king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber the Kenite. 
All right. Jill went out to meet. Now, this is Mrs. Heber, okay? Mrs. Heber, the housewife, although she's a tent wife, all right? Jill went out to meet Sisera and said to him, now, here's bad boy running away. He's in the rain. It's cold. He's exhausted. The chariots are gone, and he's running for his life. He's trying to get home, all right, to Hazor. And Mrs. Heber comes out, the hero of the story. Come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she put a covering over him. It's cold. Here's your banky. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty, says the bad boy general. He says, please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Tucked him in, gave him a warm glass of milk. It works even 3,200 years ago. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he said. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Well, apparently, <laughs> apparently one would probably die in that case. Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. <laughs> so he went in with her. And there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. Now, depending on which pun you like better, Roman numeral number four can be called Sisera goes to jail. Uh, obviously, you won't be writing that one. How about Cicero gets nailed? Oh, you guys are really evil, all right? You love the tent peg in the head, but you don't like the... Okay, fine. While Barak and his army are in hot pursuit of the chariots and killing the Canaanites, uh, Cicero is fleeing for home. He apparently knows that the Canaanites are on good terms with King Jabin. What he doesn't realize, as I mentioned, is, is that they're related. <laughs> we can fly whatever flag is necessary. That's what their motto was. They had a Canaanite flag up there before they need to work in that. It doesn't say that they were allies, but they were just trying to be neutral. But now they understand. She's, she's understanding. Oh, Israel's got the upper hand. You're, pers you're being pursued. You're out of breath. You're telling me to lie for you. Uh, change the flag, honey. <laughs> and so up goes the Star of David. And now they are, now they are Jews. Well, poor guy, he didn't know that. And so Jail's the perfect woman to do the job. She's a housewife. She uses the term Lord. She disarms him. She welcomes him. She comforts him. She serves him and tucks him in. And she knows how to put him to sleep. And, and she, he goes to sleep, and she gets it. She says, well, Yahweh has brought this bad boy, Osama, Ben Laden, into my tent. Wow. To me. Now, it's no surprise to any woman here, the guest who would move the tent, set it up, and tear it down in Bedouin times in ancient Israel, the women. She knows how to use her tools. She knows exactly what to do. She's not kidding around, all right? So she waits until he begins to snore, and she decides, I'm going to end that racket <laughs> permanently. So she takes, verse 21, a wooden mallet in one hand, a tent peg in the other, and she sends him on a one-way trip to Yahweh. Now, by the way, like I said, um, she's a strong woman. She's not afraid to use force. Now, instead of a call for a federal investigation to see if Jal's move was legal, 
And if it violated laws of desert hospitality, there's a call to celebrate. <laughs> Some of you, I, I love when you get my jokes, but you know, if more of you could, it would be, it would be awesome. <laughs> All right, listen. Jails, not saying, oh no, maybe I just overreacted. Oh no, she says, to, she goes out and she gets Barack and she's proud of her work. She goes out and says, Barack. And he says, hey, have you seen that nasty man, Cicero? She goes, come, I'll show you where he is. She leads him, she doesn't tell him what to expect. I'm gonna show you. She pulls back the tent curtain. She says, come here, look what I did. I wanna show you somebody in the permanent fetal position. I did that. Here he is. And it says again, there he was, dead. That's what happens to God's enemies. He's on his way home, but God always gets his man. Now, the song, chapter 5, 1 through 12. Instead of making a movie version, they set it to poetry, and they're going to sing a song, and it's called Killing Me Softly. <laughs> Finally! Finally, but it made me laugh as well. <laughs> And then once I, once I wrote that down, then I'm thinking of the verses that could go. <laughs> Strumming the, no, never mind. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, the poor guy. All right, here comes the song. I don't really know the tune, but, and some of the verses are like, wow, how do you sing like that? All right, they're celebrating, all right? Psalms and songs were a way to celebrate, praise God, and remember history to pass it along. So this is important. On the day Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song on that day. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. And so verses 1 and 2, a joy and a blessing to be used by God. And she's saying in the Hebrew, it says, uh, coming up in 3 and 4, I will sing to the Lord, even me. Like, wow, how did this happen to me? I get to be involved with the living God. That's amazing. So hear this, you kings. Listen up, you rulers. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Oh, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook and the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. So verses 3 through 5 are just celebrating God's faithfulness in the past. So what is 3 through 5 saying? They're saying, God's not dead. He's alive. So she's, they're singing about a time a long time ago, like the, back in the day day. And then she says, that God is at work today. He's been good for a long time. Verses 6 through 9. In the day of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the roads were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Village life in Israel ceased, uh, ceased until I, Deborah, arose, a mother in Israel, when they chose new gods. War came to the city gates, and not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart, within, my heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. So verses 6 through 9, life under oppression. They couldn't even go in the streets. They're stuck at home under wicked King Jabin. No fun. This is what spurs Deborah on to action. She's saying, life was miserable until I. <laughs> wow. A mother. She says, you know, I'm not a shafate. I'm a mom. And these are God's wayward kids. And my maternal instinct is really what she considers to be her greatest attribute. I started thinking about that, and I, I've got a couple titles that I could go by. Dad, a spiritual dad, that is what drives me. I, I, some people around here call me Papa Ross, you know, and it's kind of weird 
because just yesterday I was like 23, and now I could be called Papa Ross. I love that. It's very nurturing. That's who I am. That's what motivates me. I'm like the spiritual dad who's kind of looking out for people. And that's all she's saying is she's saying, hey, I'm, I'm a mom first. And I just did what any mom would do with wayward kids that's sitting under a palm tree saying, hey, I'll get a word from the Lord for you. Verse 9. Uh, rather, 10 and 11, you who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts of his warriors in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. So really, verses 10 and 11 are just about listen up. We want to shine our light and glorify God, listen to what he's done. Now on to 12 through 18, awards night. It's time to name the MVPs. Verse 12, wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up, break out in song. Arise, O Barak, take captives your captives, O son of Abinanim. Then the men who were left came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came to me with the mighty, some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Makir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The prince of Issachar were with Deborah, the princes rather. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, rushing after him into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, oh, there was much searching of heart. But why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead, which is another name for East Manasseh, stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did you linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their lives, their very lives. So did Naphtali on the heights of the field. Uh, so, very simple team, Ephraim, West Manasseh, Benjamin, Zebulun, Issachar, and Naphtali. Those teams, they're all from different states in Israel. They all get a shout out. Praise the Lord. MVP, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six. And this kind of really looks toward the, the evaluation or the judgment at the end of the age, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may receive what is due him, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Did you hear that last part? <laughs> whether good or bad. We're going to talk to him about it, not ending in condemnation. But he's going to talk to us about MVP moves and sacrifices and rewards. And wow, you built on gold and costly gems. Or, sadly, not everyone was very helpful. Four shout outs for, wow, where were you guys? Reuben, East Manasseh, Dan, and Asher. He says, oh, a lot of soul searching, but you didn't do anything. A lot of thinking. Oh, we should, or we should, or should we, or whatever, and wringing of the hands and by the campfire, but you guys didn't help. Right there in the song. Interesting that not just the MVPs, but the guys who just, you know, parked on somebody else's dime. You guys do the hard work. We're, we're with you in thought and deed. We're here. The other guy, uh, Dan, is near with his boats. Uh, Manasseh doesn't bother crossing back over the Jordan. Too much work. You guys take care of it. The initial 10,000 was the initial 10,000, and then recruits were called. And there were 40,000 of them total. But among those 40,000, a few were missing. That's always a problem. The workers are plentiful, right? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And that's a problem that goes on today. Honestly, at the end of the age, I promise you, we're going to have a shout out just like that. And God's going to reveal, wow, you know, glad you're here. Love you to death. He did, too. Uh, however, you were a lot of work. And, and people, everybody had to carry you. 
And it wasn't because you were spiritually handicapped. It was a self-induced carry me. You could have contributed, but you didn't. Now, let me tell you about this guy. That's going to happen. It's all going to be public. I try to live for that moment, and I want you to live for that moment, too. Now, a shout-out to our hero, Jail. Jael really is her name, but I didn't want to pronounce it that because I had a pun coming. So it's really wouldn't it work with Jael. It would have. Verse 19. <laughs> Shout out to Jael now, all right? Kings came, they fought, the kings of Canaan fought, and Tachnak by the waters of Megiddo, but they carried off no silver, no plunder. So verse 19 says, hey, this wasn't about money, this is about God's honor. Verse 20. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away, the age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping, go his mighty steeds. And that kind of does sound like a song. So 20 to 22, God was their help. It was by his power the victory came. Verse 23, uh, Jesus is not a happy camper here. Curse Meroz, it's a town, said the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord. Hmm. Who said anything about helping the Lord? I mean, it was the guys. It was Israel. But the Lord takes things personally. As you have done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. That's how he is. Old Testament, New Testament. And so he says there, um, cursed uh, because they didn't help the Lord. Most, now here we go, shout out to Jael. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, she gave him milk. This is the part I don't know how you sing. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck scissors, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell, where he sank, there he fell, dead. <laughs> what a fun tune. <laughs> Just like zippity doo dah, zippity a, I've got a tent peg for you today. Whoa, that was on the fly. <laughs> I do not have that in my notes. The last time I did something like that, somebody said, Yeah, you had that in your notes. I didn't have that in my notes. Verse 19. It wasn't about money, verses 20 to 22. God was their help. And then, uh, yeah, we already talked about that. Okay, yeah, here we go. Listen to this. Her hand reached for the tent peg. Her right hand, the workman's hammer. She struck him, crushed his head, shattered, pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, he lay there. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Spiritual application. Who are the Canaanites? The flesh, our sinful nature. That's the story. That's the type. They, it, the Canaanites are pockets of resistors in our own hearts. Why is she a hero? Why is this graphic scene like applauded? Because it is the Christian life. And I'm telling you, first and foremost, the Christian life is not for the faint of heart. Gra Jesus graphic call. Anybody want to follow me? Number one, huge self-denial. You'll be telling yourself no all the time. That's first point. Number two, you're going to be dragging an implement of death, a bloody cross. So number one, you'll be telling yourself no to anything that's inconsistent with the Christian life, which is probably every day. So you will be living in a suffering tension where you always have to say no to you and yes to me. Number one. Number two, you'll be dragging a cross upon which that sinful nature will be hung and crucified. And number three, you will follow me, not your own agenda. Graphic. 
This is why the tent peg, she's a hero. Because he, the Canaanite, is the enemy. It's the lust. It's the immorality. It's the greed. It's the gossip. And it's all the good things as well that pose as idolatrous things in our hearts. What did Abraham, Abraham had to do with his own son? When the Lord said, hey, buddy, <laughs> that son of yours is just a little too close to your heart. I would like him back now. Let's see if you can give that good thing. Oh, is it a sin to have whatever it is? Fill it in because we all have our little Isaacs. And God says, oh, you know, Isaac was a blessing, but now you've turned it into a curse. I want Isaac back. Give it back to me now. Perfectly fine, good. Where are you going to find it? It's a sin to have Isaac. <laughs> and whatever your Isaac is. And you love to be able to say, where did it say in the Bible that I can't A, B, or C? And God is saying, you give me back A, B, and C. I'm displeased the way. And so he has to take a tent peg to the good little idol of Isaac. And he says, I love you enough and I believe in you enough that somehow I'm going to give this thing back to you. You raise it up in another way. And as soon as he goes to do it, and God knows it's done. It's as good as through Isaac. He says, whoa, stop. The work is done. He's no longer your little idol because you obeyed me rather than him. You listened to my voice and you were willing to give that thing away. So now I know that you love me more than your little Isaac. So don't be just thinking, oh, the tempeg to porn, but please. She's a hero because she's not messing around. If you let pornography or immorality or lust or greed or any of that stuff, you let it lay in your tent, you're going to have to live with Sisera in your tent. Or you're going to be a hero and you're going to do what the New Testament says to do. You are going to crucify those passions. Let me quote to you, put to death, therefore, put to death, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, put to death. That's why it's so cheered here. It can be a gruesome battle to be a Christian. Jesus said, is it your eye? Is it what you're looking at? Stick a tent peg through your eyeball, man. Because it'd be better for you to go to heaven with one eyeball than for you to go with good two good eyeballs straight into hell. He says, is it your hand? Is it something you're doing that's separating you from me? Chop it off with an axe. Jesus, gentle, meek, and mild. Chop it off. Is it your foot? Is it where you're going? You're always, oh, I don't know how I end up there, but I always end up there. He goes, chop the foot off at the ankle. It's better for you to go limping and hobbling into eternal life than for you with both your good legs and your, both your good feet trot your way down into an eternal abyss. You're not kidding around. Take a tent peg and a hammer. Cover that thing up, and at your first opportunity, right on the temple, and so hard it goes into the ground. Then, who's in your tent? <laughs> the Holy Spirit and me, the born-again person. There's peace, fruitfulness, effectiveness, a clean conscience. God's favor. It's a beautiful thing to get rid of that beast. That's why there's a song about it. I thought that was the end. I forgot we got to go on to her mother. <laughs> His mother. Let's finish it up. Through the window, verse 28, peered Sisera's mother, 
This is a weird little twist here. Behind the lattice, she cried out, where is Sonny? Why is his chariot so long in coming? Where is Adolf, my little Hitler? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answer her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, oh, they must be finding and dividing the spoils. That's called stealing other people's property. All right, uh, or uh, they're, uh, they're splitting up a girl or two for each man. That's what's happening. That's called rape, mom. That's called rape. Colorful garments as plunder for Sisera. Colorful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments for moi. That's where he is. He's off doing business for mama. He's cashing in, he's ripping off all those Jewish ladies and their embroidered things because those embroidered things and those girls, those virgin Jewish girls, they belong to us. And you know where he is right now? He's doing all that for me. Well, not. <laughs> Verse 31, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace, yeah, because the beast was slain for 40 years. So a different kind of mom than Deborah. <laughs> and you know what? How many pathetic souls are looking out a false window of hope, wondering for something, hoping for something, that will never materialize because it's based on a false premise and evil foundation. And there's no sympathy for anybody, including mama. If mama won't turn from evil, mama will go where son goes. And son will go where mama goes. It's whoever is an enemy of the Lord is destined for that kind of demise. The closing prayer, may God's enemies go down into darkness, but may those who love God rise and shine like the sun, our enemies, lest anybody think that they can go take out one of their enemies, is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, we best let God define who is who, who his real enemies are, because his enemies look like enemies one day, and then at high noon on the Damascus Road, they become the greatest Christian who ever lived. So you will never know until then. He will tell us in the last day, these to my left are my enemies. These to my right are my people. Wheat and tares, they're hard to tell. You will never know until the end. Therefore, do not pray anything about God's enemies because you don't know who they are. Because one minute they look like him, and one minute they're a brother or sister in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for helping us do two whole chapters in one night. Thank you for the truths that we found and help us to remember them and recall them by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.